0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Yes, he is. He's here to say hello. Good afternoon to you. Welcome on board. It is the 12th day of August, in case you weren't keeping track here on a Thursday. Five after five, Greg Roberts on your radio. And we're going to keep you company for the next couple of hours here, keeping you apprised of events going on in the world and their impact on your life. we got a lot to break down today. A little bit later on in tonight's program, Dr. Lonnie Chen from the Hoover Institution is going to drop by for a bit of a visit. We'll talk about the shaping, potentially shaping, gubernatorial race. Of course, the gubernatorial race is coming upon 50 plus one voting in favor of removal of Governor Newsom. And then the real race is on. So we'll talk a bit about that. What are the chances of that happening and who the lead candidate might be? We'll also talk about Dr. Chen's own political aspirations to run for controller of California in 2022. So we'll get to those conversations and more later on in tonight's program. Right now, I want to lead off with a very important update. Folks back east are familiar with uh, Wind dixie This is Dixie loser, big time. Californians, particularly in the crosshairs of being the losers of the wake of the Dixie fire, now the largest wildfire burning in the United States, and I think still the second largest in California history. So far, it's consumed over a half million acres, only 30% contained, and um, it's, uh, it's troubling to be sure. Let's get an update on progress. We're joined now by Lynn Tomokoff. Lynn is with CAL FIRE, and um, we always appreciate you carving some time out for us to give us an update. Um, when last we spoke, this thing was continuing to rage out of control. It looks like the containment numbers have improved slightly, but a long way to go yet.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, uh, over a half million acres now, looking at about 30% containment. But we do see growth averaging, you know, right around 10,000 acres a day. And, and you know, uh, years ago, 10,000 acres was one good big fire, and now we're watching this one burning that one, much in one day. So it, it's definitely uh, it's got its foothold, and it's going to be a while.
1: Is part of the challenge just the nature of how dry the timber is, how fast it's able to travel, wind conditions, And I I would imagine just a good part of this has to be difficult terrain to get in and access. I know that there's a lot of work done uh, fighting it via the air, but there must be some limitations to the effectiveness of even that.
2: Yeah, you know, aircraft has always been uh, just one of the tools in our toolbox. It's it's meant to slow the fire. It's definitely not, uh, they're not meant to put the fire out. The boots on the ground are the ones that go in to do the work to put it out aircraft is supposed to help them to slow that fire to give them a chance to get in there and and, and stop it. Um, anymore, it seems like the aircraft is helping us to slow the fire so we can get people out of harm's way and get people evacuated and, and just slow down the rate at which that fire is burning. Um, and, you know, even at that, we're still seeing some significant fire activity and some very dangerous uh, conditions out there.
1: Lynn are you troubled that we 're having this conversation so early in the year i mean we've we 've talked in the past when uh, come september October there were fire danger concerns because of all the summer months really drying out vegetation and timber across the state, along with our, our traditional winds, Santa Ana winds, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of um, exacerbates the problem. But the fact that we're barely through the month of August and this is already this far out of control, what, what, what is your sense? And, I, and I, I'm not trying to set you up for kind of a doomsday question here, but I have to wonder if it's this bad this early, what kind of a fire season is 2021 going to wind up looking like?
2: Yeah, you know, it is, it's shaping up, uh, to not look very good for us. Uh, it, it definitely, we started seeing the, the hot temperatures come in very early this summer, uh, actually late spring, and then, uh, the lack of precipitation and, 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 snowpack has, uh, obviously impacted everything. Um, September and October are historically the worst months for fire season in the state of California, as you mentioned, uh, particularly with the Santa Ana winds in Southern California. Um, so we're not even there yet, and uh, you know we're already dealing with a, a half-million-acre fire uh, in, in that started mid-July.
1: Obviously, in rural areas, there's not a lot that can be done other than being extremely cautious if you happen to be traveling through those areas, camping in those areas, things of that sort. But for ourselves directly, two important questions. We've heard stories of some that said, I'm not going to leave, I'm going to stay here and battle the fire, as if to think that a... A one-inch garden hose is adequate enough to be able to push back the flames if your property is threatened. What's the best advice that you can give to homeowners who live in quasi-rural areas surrounded by some of the beautiful trees of California um, that are, at this point, so potentially risky? How do we need to be, A, preparing our properties better, and then, B, if we are told it looks like it's on its way and it's raging, how should we respond?
2: Yeah, you know, it's that, that beautiful and deadly combination. Uh, just like I said, beautiful trees, beautiful landscape, just beautiful remote areas to live in. But unfortunately, uh, you know, they are also prone to these wildfires and, uh, the, the rate at which these fires are traveling has just been, um, it's been tremendous and it's, it's hard to stay ahead of. So when we warn people to get out and get out when we tell them, uh, your best to just heed our warnings. Um, obviously we can't, uh, save everybody's home. We do our best. Um, We ask the public to help us before fire even even hits by doing their defensible space. Um, But ultimately, when that fire comes through, it's safer for you to be out of harm's way and free up our guys to do our jobs. so we're not trying to rescue people and get people out of a situation that they can't save themselves
1: from. And that really, I suppose, not only distracts firefighters suddenly being into a rescue mode as opposed to a firefighting mode along with putting the people that don't want to um, uh, evacuate at risk and the firefighting teams own lives at risk as well
2: yeah absolutely. we have seen that before uh, for many uh, many fires we've had that same situation Um, we've also had fires where we can't even do any firefighting the only thing we're doing is is evacuating people we saw that uh, back in 2017 uh, in the Northern California fires in, in, in the wine country, that we were just the best we could do was get people out of the way because we could not stop the fire uh, with the way it was traveling with the wind. So we see that happen a lot here in California. So we have to ask people to help us out, listen to the warnings, uh, and pay attention to your surroundings and what's happening.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and if you hear that there may be a potential evacuation, get your go bag ready with all of your important documents. And uh, be prepared to leave at a moment's notice. And when that notice comes, leave. Don't try to stay behind and be a hero. Nobody wants to ever think (coughs) about losing a lifetime of possessions and and mementos and heirlooms handed down through the generations in a family. Um, And and while true, some of those can't be replaced. um, One thing we know for sure, human life absolutely cannot be replaced. And so it's just not worth the risk. We appreciate so much, Lynn, all the work that uh, you and your colleagues are doing. I know it's been a long summer, and it's not over with yet. So, um, again, uh, Godspeed, be safe out there, and uh, we appreciate you taking some time today to keep us updated. Thank you. There again is Lynn Tolmakoff. She is the public information officer with CAL FIRE and uh, repeating... The Dixie Fire here in Northern California, now the largest burning in the United States. Montana uh, coming in uh, behind us. Um, In fact, it's interesting to note there are 105 active wildfires as we speak across the country. Montana has 35, Idaho 20. Oregon rounds out the top three states with 16 blazes. Um, Montana's wildfire in the uh, Richardson Springs area there in the uh, southernmost part of the state has already burned through 150,000 acres, only 15% contained. And when you hear 150,000 acres and say, yeah, that's a third of the size of the Dixie Fire now burning in California, over a half million acres, it's uh, it's tragic. It really is. We need to do a little bit of a better job, I think, here in taking some of these things more seriously. Um, i got to tell you, as a California native, this um, this is not normal. There may be seasons when fires happen and we get, uh, you know, uh, some parts of the state named during the summer months. But a lot of what happens is done by fools who are careless, by criminals who set the fires intentionally, and... Uh, We've been largely, unfortunately, um, kind of MIA when it comes to uh, addressing some forest management in ways that we should be. And I've always thought it funny that we have, in certain sectors of the state, moratoriums on cutting old-growth trees. So instead, we let them be burned down. And then we wind up with, in the long run, a lumber shortage that results in higher prices. Yeah. At any rate. Be in prayer. There are a lot of people being impacted by this. In fact, a friend and colleague uh, spoke to yesterday is up in the Yuba City region. I won't say specifically where, but in that neck of the woods. And he and his family are ready to go at a moment's notice. One fire burning eight miles to the south, another fire six miles to the north. And it's all a question of what blows in what direction, I suppose sad and tragic. 515 from KFAX.
2: We were afraid to let our parents down.
3: I grew up a Catholic and um, so I just did not, did not want to disappoint anybody.
2: When I was younger it was a form of birth control.
1: I was drafted into the Army during uh, Vietnam, then I met women. If it came up, uh, if the opportunity presented itself, I never said no. My abortion
2: was 49 years ago. It's a secret, yeah, you know, you don't just
3: tell your secrets. Before I found healing, I felt unloved and not worthy. Now I feel really loved. I feel healthy. Before, I think I felt like
2: I was just existing, but once the secret was out, it was like a freedom. There was a release.
3: After the retreat, I felt liberated. Um, I no longer felt in darkness. I was able to feel the forgiveness that I received from 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 the Lord.
2: Going through Rachel's Vineyard and dealing with it as a married couple we were able to come out of that just so much stronger than ever.
1: I have seen transformation in others and I have also seen it in me.
3: Today I feel lighter less ashamed. It's not like I feel like proclaiming that I did this but if I see a need to share this story with someone I don't hesitate. Before I found healing, I felt
2: burdened. Now I feel freedom.
1: Acceptance.
3: Hope. Praise God.
1: Provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of despair. Unloved and not worthy. Becky Morales joins us. She is the project Matter- manager of Program Hope, a part of the Ministry of Real Options. And uh, Becky, I want you to first start by sharing a bit of your own story. The aftermath of abortion or a miscarriage. And perhaps even more so exacerbated in the case of many women who might have previously conceived, terminated a pregnancy, then later on in life, maybe after a marriage, something of that sort, decided they really wanted to have children, only to lose a child through a miscarriage. The heartache and the pain of that, along with that sense of feeling unloved and not worthy, must be overwhelming for women.
3: Overwhelming. And, um, I think it's like a, it's a wave of grief. And I think that's why, uh, with these kind of ministries, it's a hard ministry. I'll admit it's a it's definite, you have to have a grace for it. But actually how I got into it was, um, I had two abortions. I grew up in a Christian home, went to three Bible colleges. I know my word really well. Um, and then I, I called my dark ages. I, I went through a time where I was very promiscuous and, and um, I had a beautiful uh, girl uh, when I was 29 years old, and she was out of wedlock. I knew the guy. didn't know the guy very well. And then after that, uh, when my daughter was three years old, I got pregnant again. And I was like, I can't have another baby out of wedlock. And so that's when I had my first abortion. And uh, went back into the vicious cycle, had sex again and got pregnant again, I'm like, ah, oh, I can't have, a, I, I already have a baby, and so that's when I have my second abortion. And um, by the grace of God, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but um, I got married to a pastor, uh, and then um, after a year of us being married, We went to a retreat, a three-day weekend retreat that is sponsored through Real Options. And it was incredible. So life-changing. So It was so life-changing for me. I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) And right after that, uh, I actually asked on on the Sunday that it was done. I said, I'd like to uh, volunteer for this. And surprisingly, I I still don't know why. It must have been God. Because they're like, Sure and so i started volunteering and amazingly every time you do a retreat you get a little bit more healing every time and then the whole the whole hope program fell in my lap after that and then i started facilitating the retreats and overseeing and then doing support groups and so on that's how i'm here
1: you know the amazing thing is for so many women that are lulled into a, a false sense of uh, ease when it comes to the way the abortion industry sort of couches this this entire discussion that if you're facing an unplanned pregnancy an abortion will just terminate and then all of your problems will go away it'll all be behind you and sadly uh, many women and men much later in life be it because they've Fail to conceive later on when they're trying to do so or other exactly. events that come along and bring the memories and the reality of what's happened back full front begin to realize that no in in many respects abortion ends a life but it is a a, a mile post that marks the beginning of so much sadness, so much pain, so much guilt for so many. And, so you know, many of these women and men, for that matter, walk around carrying Absolutely. this burden for years and years and years. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. about your work with Rachel's Vineyard. Help listeners understand a bit about some of the benefits that are available. Uh, what is the retreat like? And I understand you even have an event coming up uh, pretty quickly here toward the end of August.
3: Yes, sir. Um well, Richard's Vineyard Retreat is a three-day t- retreat. Um, we actually have one in Cupertino Hills. From it starts on Friday afternoon at three thirty and ends on Sunday. And what it is is a, a pretty much you go in and you're scared out of your mind. You usually think it's a cult. You're like, what am I doing here? And majority of everyone. Um, don't want to go, because who wants to go to a retreat that you have to deal with your abortions? I mean, really, let's let's get down to the nitty-gritty. No one in the world does. Um, but you get there, and you uh, we do a lot of um, spiritual exercises. We go through the Word. Uh, we do breakout sessions. Uh, you get your own room, um, and you get to be with other people who have similar experiences as you. And it's the craziest thing, because Abortion itself is such a lonely thing because it's so full of shame. It's secretive. But then when you get there, you're able to share it in a safe place. And then everyone's like, oh, my gosh, I get that. And then they respond. And then it's like a, a catalyst into incredible healing. You realize you're not alone. I mean, I've met women who 70 80 years old and I talked to them and they had an abortion when they were 15 years old and then they're like this is the first time I'm telling you about my abortion that they've been caring for the last 60 years you know what I'm saying so it's it's an, that's what it is it's, it, it's incredible because at the beginning of the retreat nobody likes each other everyone's freaked out and by the end everyone is literally best friends no one wants to leave, and we as a team get to see that. Not a lot of people get to see what we get to see. We get to see literally, uh, you know, people die and get resurrected. And that's pretty much in a tidbit, tip of the iceberg of what our retreats are like. And we have one that's coming up August 27th to the 29th in just a few weeks, and we do have some spots left.
1: And you know, what's beautiful about this is it really encapsulates the totality of the gospel message. That exactly. is to say, that in the guilt and shame that we carry for our mistakes, our misdeeds, our misactions, that right. there is grace and hope that goes far mm-hmm. beyond any act that we can commit, any thought that we can think, anything that we can do. There is nothing Absolutely. that can put us beyond the capability of God to forgive us, Christ to bring healing and restoration into our lives, and a renewal Enjoy. of hope and an opportunity to really, for the first time maybe in years and decades, uh, walk with a sense of one's head held high with that liberty that it brings. Not not to celebrate the act of what took place, the mistake that was made, Absolutely. but to say that this, though this has happened, God has forgiven me. And that child is in heaven, and that there can be not only the release of the burden of the guilt and shame, but also healing of of marriage relationships that oftentimes – um, are, 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 are inconsequential victims of these acts because it, it colors the way we relate to another. And as I mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, boy, for the couple, that maybe uh, there, there is a history of abortion in the past and now attempting to conceive intentionally and either mm-hmm. unable to do so or met with a miscarriage, suddenly that sense of, well, God is punishing us for this. Exactly. All to all be that. able to move yeah. beyond that and find hope and healing and truth is a fantastic thing. And as you mentioned, this next event coming up August the 27th through the 29th, Rachel's Vineyard. And Becky, if folks want to get more information about how this might be just right for them, how can they find out more?
3: Um, you can go on to um or you can email me at hope at realoptions.net. Um, I'd love to connect with anyone. Now, as people know, grief comes in waves and it's a hard thing because we always get people who email and who are interested and then they get scared now the easy part is knowing that jesus forgives you that's the easy part the hard part is forgiving yourself and i've got a lot of women who actually who have said to me um becky i feel that I did, what I did was right. I was 15. I was scared. If I had to go back in time, I'd do it again. And how can I repent of this? How can I repent? And I feel like I was caught in that too. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's a lie from the enemy. It's like, I, I, I always get to the analogy of it's like you, God called you to New York. And then you make a decision that ends you up in South America to make another decision that ends up in Antarctica. And now you're trying to figure out what to feed the the penguins. And it's like you were never supposed to be in that place on that continent making those decisions. That you are a new person in Christ. And I believe that women and men get caught up in this, how can I repent? How can I get there? And that is what these retreats do. It gets to the root of why you do what you do because majority of the time, especially in my experience of doing this abortion, usually there's a sexual abuse, rape, something that's happened in the household that gets you to the place of why you had the abortion. I know a lot of women who were forced into the abortion and then they're like, well, how can I get, you know, find healing? It You know, it wasn't
1: even my call. Um, But they they nevertheless carry that that sense of guilt and burden and shame. And this retreat is an opportunity to be able to confront that in a loving way for yourself. This is not come and be piled on by more guilt and shame, but rather experiencing encouragement from others who've been there, too, that can point you to the way where you can finally address this, finally unload this burden that you've carried for years or decades. I'll mention, too, that Becky also um, conducts HOPE support groups that are available to those who have been impacted either directly or indirectly by abortion, miscarriage, pregnancy loss, and you can get more information about those. (coughs) Just send her an email, hope at realoptions.net, and um, it's all a small group. And completely confidential, again, HOPE, email hope at realoptions.net for the Zoom link. They do that the first and third Thursday of each month from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Details regarding the upcoming Rachel's Vineyard event, August 27, 8, and 9, go to realoptions.net. That's realoptions.net. Our thanks to Becky Morales, Program Manager of the HOPE Program at Real Options for that update.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right. Well, as you know, we are exactly one month today away from another critical election in California. You think, well, did we just go through one? Yeah. Well, this one's a little bit unique, a little bit different. It is a potential recall election of the governor of California. Gavin Newsom is in a very precarious position right now for a variety of reasons. And uh, right now there's going to be a before you at a ballot box nearby two decisions you need to make. One is, should the governor be recalled? And if so, who should replace him? Dr. Lonnie Chen joins us with some insights, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, also director of domestic policy studies and a lecturer in the public policy program at Stanford University. And uh, Dr. Chen, as always, great to have you with us
4: good to be
1: with you this is a race that's turning out to be quite interesting I suppose if we had asked most political observers say a month or two ago we would have thought yeah chances are that Gavin Newsom is going to remain right where he is through the end of his term now it's not looking like that's as quite likely as it used to be what do you think is the uh, the abiding driving force here as to why so many Californians are upset with this guy and the other uh, quick question I'll ask you, you uh, pull out your crystal ball there. Uh, talk to him about who you think uh, the chances are for uh, the front runner.
4: Well, uh, I'll make a couple observations, Craig. I think, first of all, it's going to be a remarkably close election. Uh, I don't think we thought it was going to be that close when this all first started. You know, I think people figured, look at the Democratic state. Uh, Gavin Newsom's probably okay. But, you know, in reality, a lot of people are very upset about what's going on in California. We've got wildfires. We've got homelessness out of control. We've got high cost of living. Uh, we have water shortages. Uh, and I think for all those reasons, people are thinking about uh, who who's responsible, who's to blame for that. And I think Gavin Newsom uh, does bear some responsibility for it. I think that's the reason why people are uh, are looking very seriously at potentially recalling it. So I think it's going to be close. In terms of... Uh, who I think ends up replacing him, you know, there's a number of candidates out there who I think would be very strong. Uh, our old friend Larry Elder, of course, is somebody who I think uh, is worth watching. Uh, Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, uh, and others as well. But I don't know who's going to win that replacement vote, but I do think, uh, Craig, the initial vote in terms of recalling Newsom is going to be very, very close.
1: Uh, Do you see this uh, continuing to be close, or is there a chance it might gain more momentum, particularly as kids are going back to school and there's growing frustration over the way the governor has handled COVID-19?
4: Yeah, I think it very well could uh, get even closer. You know, one of the rules in an election like this is it's all about where the energy is. It's all about where the enthusiasm is. And the enthusiasm to recall Gavin Newsom is growing, and I think for that reason, the election is going to end up being a whole lot closer uh, than I think anybody expected and, and, in fact, can get even closer. I, I saw a poll recently, Craig, you may have seen the same poll, that actually has Newsom, uh, the, the people who favor recalling Newsom in the lead. 51 uh, percent of those responding said they'd recall him, uh, and just 46 percent said that they would keep him in office. So that is a, a big surprise for me. But certainly indicates that uh, you know a lot of people are are done with one party rule in Sacramento.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly can see that, and I also can see this being potential uh, death keel. On Gavin Newsom's political future, if he winds up getting recalled and replaced by a conservative Republican, uh, he may have the same future uh, politically as Gray Davis did, and that is, you know, time to ride yeah. off into the sunset, go run your winery, go do something different. I want to pivot real quick because I know our time is short to another election-related topic. We're looking a bit ahead, I understand, but uh, 2022, the controller seat will be up here and available in California, and our. Listeners may not be aware of it, but you have officially put your hat in the ring. This is an interesting position. It's not one that has much influence when it comes to policymaking, but the one thing the controller in California can and does do and should do, and that is provide some serious oversight in a state that sorely lacks oversight and transparency. And if folks don't believe me, just look at all the EDD fraud that went on when you had prisoners applying for not only stimulus checks, but unemployment checks to the the tune of millions of dollars, and we have yet to unravel that mess.
4: Well, Craig, you're right. The Office of Controller, which I've declared my candidacy for, is particularly is, the Chief Accountability Officer, the Chief Financial Officer of the state of California, and one of the things I want to do is I want to give voters, I want to give taxpayers an eye into what's going on in Sacramento. I want them to know exactly how the state's spending its money. I want them to know uh, how programs are doing, and I, I'll bet that a lot of people will get very upset when they realize... We're spending tens of billions of dollars to fight homelessness, and yet that problem has gotten worse. You know, we're not spending nearly enough on things like fighting wildfires. And and these are things that people need to know about And So I'm running for controller to provide that accountability and transparency. And I think it has the potential to be a very important office, one that I think a, a conservative, a, a fiscal conservative, can potentially do well in. Because, as I said earlier, I think people in the state have had it with the same old politics. So... I'm looking forward to the campaign ahead. Hope people will visit my website at ChenForCalifornia.com and uh, check out what I'm doing and, and hopefully support my efforts.
1: In some ways, I'd almost say you're, you're overqualified for this position based on uh, you have multiple degrees, uh, both in law and poly science. I will ask you two, two closing questions, two things that maybe strikes against you. Uh, one is Republican running in a democratically controlled state. Does that bother you?
4: it doesn't uh and i think the reason why it doesn't is because you know folks who who are in california now they want to check on the one party monopoly in sacramento and if we aren't successful in this recall election uh this september there's going to be a lot of folks out there who still want to have some way of checking and balancing against what's happening up there and so i think actually the fact that i am of a different party i am i'm a republican that that actually may work in my favor so so i feel pretty pretty good about it i also think listen Republicans need to do a better job of communicating all over the state about what it is we're trying to do. And so that for that reason, I think I can outperform some of the previous candidates that have run from my party. And
1: again, that notion of being able to bring to the table your expertise that will provide not just the oversight auditing and ultimately transparency and reduction of waste and fraud in a state that... Earns as much as we do through taxes, spends as much as we do through taxes. Uh, it's high time that there's a greater degree of accountability back to the very people that are doing all that tax paying in the first place. Final question: um, One other potential liability. Um, you're you're a diehard Dodgers and Lakers fan, and you're going to be running in Northern California, which is kind of Niners and Warriors territory. Any liability there, Lonnie? <laughs>
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the words of Popeye, I is what I is. uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not running away from it. And, uh, you know, I I get all sorts of great uh, comments from Giants fans on my Twitter feed. That's totally fine. You know, we'll see who's on top in October, and if it's the Giants, uh, I will tip my cap to captain
1: <laughs> Yeah, My engineer just said, time to take him off the be. air. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dr. Chen, we always appreciate your time and your insights, and uh, we'll be, uh, you know, no doubt talking a lot between now and, uh, and 2022 as you head into the election. And again, uh, we, we wish you much success, and uh, thank you again for your insights related to our becoming uh, gubernatorial race here in California. There's Dr. Lanny Chen. He is, again, the Director of Domestic Policy Studies and a lecturer in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University and a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. 546. I'm surprised Nate's not saying the same thing about me. Get him off the air. (laughs) 546. Let's get a look at traffic.